All right, welcome back to Building a Fighter. This is Alex Friedman. I'm a strength coach in Denver, Colorado at Landau Performance. Uh, with me, as always, who usually does the intro, is Dr. Austin Shane, a sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, Austin, how are you today? Dude, I'm living. It's a great Saturday. It's a Saturday. We're uh, both used, typically working on Saturday. I know you had guys in the clinic today. How was, uh, how were your workouts? They're pretty good. Um, a lighter squad, uh, because I have a few fights coming up. So they've already peaked out. They're either at the fights this weekend or going to fights next weekend. So I think only had like six or seven today, but everybody got stronger. Everybody got faster. Everybody got better. So that's cool. I actually have a, there'll be a really funny set of photos of Hunter Azure where we did, (laughs) we did 30 thirties. We did four 30 thirties took full, full recovery. And then three more after that. And he was laying on the ground. I immediately grabbed my normal text for him <laughs> and he was laying on the ground. And I took a picture because I was just going to do like an aftermath thing. And he turned his head right as I took the picture and he's staring me with a death glare <laughs> right in my eyes. And I'm like, <laughs> this is perfect. As is his right after 30 thirties. Uh, yeah. I was a bit of a dick today. That's all good. That's all good. But today we're actually going to start a new series on the podcast. And this is kind of my brainchild. Um, and Austin is willingly enough playing along. Um, we, along with many of you guys that listen, are kind of uh, self-improvement and self-help addicts, right? So we're reading books, and I thought it'd be cool to do like a monthly book club podcast on Building a Fighter where we talk our way through a book, we give it a little bit of spiel, and then you can get your summary and decide whether you want to read it and take the lessons home or you get some idea of what it's about. And then, uh, or you can just listen to the podcast and get the main points and, and try to implement those lessons into your routine or whatever. So um, yeah, this week we're going to start with It Takes What It Takes by Trevor Mowat. Um, Austin, what did you think initially of this book? Dude, it was better than I thought it was going to be. I'll be real okay. honest. All right. Um, I, once I saw what it was and it was by a mental conditioning coach, um, and some of those can go either way, right? You get some really good ones like relentless who's it's a sports performance coach, but he's a lot of mental, the mental side of stuff. And then I've read some other books where I'm like, Oh, this dude's full of shit. Cause you never, cause you never know, right? Some people that get to high positions are just, they're good at talking and they can talk their way into separate things. And then they make a book. Yeah. Um, so I, I went in skeptical and I came out learning a lot, learning a lot, making myself be introspective. I've already recommended this book to five or six of my fighters that I think it would help. Um, but I, I came out understanding what mental conditioning is and why you need to implement it a lot more and why everybody should do it and not just fighters. Yeah. Um, I was recommended this book by Augie AJ, who was uh, on the podcast a week or two back, but um, I actually read his copy of the book. So uh, thank you for lending me that, Augie. Um, but I'd heard a lot of good things about it, and I'm, I'm the same as you. I was somewhat skeptical. And um, the other thing that put me off about it is it's super star-studded, man. Like this mm-hmm. guy name drops anybody and everybody that he's ever worked with, which is a fantastic um, roster of elite sports from Power 5 college football to the NFL to the NBA to anybody and everybody in between. Um, and right off the bat to me, that's like, that's a little bit of a turnoff, right? It's like, you have to do all that stuff because the content is not quite there, but I'm with you. I think the the content was fairly, fairly good. It was there. It gave me a a good enough backbone on like mental conditioning and, and the idea of changing your mindset and how to do that. But it didn't get into a lot of the nitty gritty of like, 
the murkiness of it, if you will. Yeah, he he did a good job. What I what I thought it did really well is the words that he used and the way he said things did a very good job of making me think for myself, right? Mm-hmm. They gave you just, just enough to understand the concept of what he wanted or what he wanted you to get. And then you're left, it immediately like switches to another topic and you're left with, how does that apply to my life? Like it almost like wet my appetite enough to where I wanted to read more, but there was nothing else. So I had to think about myself. <laughs> <laughs> I know you, you, you actually love doing that, but not in a critical sense. So I know that True. that'll help you out. So um, yeah. But yeah, I think overall, he did a really good job outlining his structure of mental conditioning, weaving in his own personal story and his journey on how he got to this process, as well as giving the professional sports anecdotes. Um, one of his biggest clients is Russell Wilson, um, and he was with Russell Wilson when the Seahawks went to the Super Bowl and everything. So he relies heavily on that experience and i was very interested in his personal story and the way he wove that into the lessons because i think with everybody the lessons that we learn come foremost in our own life right so a lot of the process that he uh evolved a lot of process that he began came from his own experience working with athletes or his own upbringing with his dad who was also a mental uh conditioning coach and things and so i was super interested in the personal story because a lot of times I think like within strength and conditioning within a lot of sports performance realms, like the X's and O's are always going to be there. Mm-hmm. the X's and O's are what they are. The science is what it is. The, you know, all the studies about imagery, all the studies about that, that those are black and white. Those are on the paper. We can read those and you can make your own impression. Um, but the person's individual story and how they implement is kind of those, those golden nuggets that you can pick out and really dissect and analyze. Is this a good approach for me? Is this something that I would agree with or disagree with? And so I'm glad that he did that and talked about his self and he was very vulnerable in this book. I think he opened up a lot into it, which kudos to, to Trevor. Well, and it, it makes it more relatable too. When I was, yeah. when I was hearing him and maybe it's cause we're both in elite performance ourselves, but like when I was hearing him talk about these things, I'm like, I, that could be, that could be the problem I could have tomorrow. Yeah. Like the way that, the way that he overcomes different adversity in his life and the way he wove in Russell's journey and the way he wove in uh, Nick Saban's journey and with the way he wove in his own journey, it's like, it relates you to the players. And it brings to me, at least it brings a little bit more camaraderie. When I think about it, everybody's just the same. It, it allows yeah. everybody that reads it, I guess a little bit different perspective, but shows everybody that it, you all have the same problems. You all have problems. How do we overcome them with neutral thought, which was the main focus of the book is this concept of don't being too high, don't be too low. That leads to a whole bunch of pits and valleys. Keep that neutral thought, be as objective as possible as you go through. Yeah, which is interesting and is a good segue into our next section where we kind of talk about the main themes we saw throughout the book, the um, biggest takeaways, if you will, or the the main plot points, which neutral thinking is 100% um, his process the main goal that he wanted to get across in this book is the idea of like you said not being 100 positive all the time because that's going to lead to letdowns and failures thinking negatively he says are on repeat and they're thinking negatively always leads to negative consequences right so Dude, my, my um, favorite example of that in that in the what i think it was like chapter seven or eight yeah. was when his i think was it a, was it after his it was his divorce yeah and he talked to his Navy SEAL buddy and his Navy SEAL buddy's like, well, if, if you're going to be negative, you might as well go down the negative rabbit hole. And he's yeah. the one thing he's like, I listened to two hours a day 
of sad country music. <laughs> and I broke on the 28th day and started bawling, listening to Sam hunt. <laughs> sad boy country music. Good one, man. But it's crazy. It's like the, it, he, it was a literal thought experiment on himself. He just yeah. dove into negativity. He was listening, not just Sam hunt. That was just the thing that was funny to me, but like he dove in full force of everything in his life is negative. Um, he had negative thoughts planned into his day. He would only talk to himself negatively. It was a thought experiment and yeah. him, one of the most positive people around a mental conditioning coach literally the just broke neutral people around. Uh, he, well, he was, a, <laughs> he was positively neutral. We'll put it, but, <laughs> but he, he just broke down just after all of those years and years of years of neutral thought just broke. Yeah, absolutely. And like, it only took 28 days, like you said. And I think that's a lot of the power of negativity is that it feeds on itself. Um, but that ties into one of the other big plot points that I saw throughout the book that I'm really keen on. And I, I'm a big fan of in my own life. And so I was uh, a big fan of it in the book is that you control your surroundings. You can take control of what you put yourself um, through and how you view that situation just by what type of music you listen to, what, where, and the environment of work you go to every day, mm -hmm. um, how you surround your home life, you know, what is going on there? What type of news you watch? My God. Yeah. That's a huge one. You know, what kind yeah. of media you expose yourself to. Um, and you put all that stuff in front of you. And if you think it's not affecting your day-to-day -day, moment to moment psyche, you are, misguided because everything that you intake is going to affect how you defaultly think. Uh, and he gave a good few examples on like the news that you listen or that you watch. Um, I thought with myself with like all the heavy metal that I listen to and things like that, how is that coming out in different aggressive behaviors or coming out in different uh, negative emotions? So that's, a, it was an interesting point um, to think about it as far as those constant factors, not just, you know, uh, how is your day-to-day -day life negatively impacting everything else? Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, though, those, those are huge points of the book. The one that stuck out to me the most, and I think it was just one chapter, but it was the, it, the, it's actually the book title. It takes what it takes. It's the illusion of choice. If you want to yeah, be elite 100%. and it's something I've thought as somebody that wants to be at the top of my field, Alex, I know we've had these talks before where we talk about how, what it was mm -hmm. going to take to actually change what we want to change. Um, and it takes a special person, but it also takes a special person that's willing to sacrifice choice yeah. because in order to be the top dog, you have to do things right. It's not a, Oh, I can pick McDonald's today. It's not a, Oh, I can get three hours of sleep and go to the club tonight. That doesn't happen. The elite of the elite, the Tom Brady's, the Michael Jordans, they do not do that. Yeah. It's, they do everything right. They stay late. Kobe Bryant's the perfect example of it takes what it takes. That's what allows you to become great. And that's not just in sport. It's in everything else. hundred percent, man. And like, um, that was definitely a key theme in the book is like, is the illusion of like, if you truly want to be the best, you don't have the option to go home or mm -hmm. to eat Doritos or to do whatever you want on Saturday, you know, Thursday night, whatever. Um, and that hit for me personally, because I actually had this like, um, mental clarity moment or awakening in the opposite direction, uh, during my collegiate wrestling days, yeah, I went through high school wrestling elite, you know, bought into every type of sports training and everything that I could. And like, and I didn't have the choice, you know, that it was definitely going to wake up at 5.00 AM and go on my daily run. I was definitely going to hit three practices a day. It was like, that was just my lifestyle. I didn't know any different. I didn't think any different. I didn't have the choice to turn that down because turning that down meant I wasn't 
completely committed to my goals. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I got to college and, you know, wrestling became less of a priority in my life, as I think is a natural phenomenon, if you're not going to make it to the Olympics, some D3 like myself, um, I had this kind of awakening. It's like, wait, instead of working out right now, I could literally be doing anything that I want <laughs> to be doing, Yeah, you know, or like, instead of, you know, um, suffering and putting myself in this like condemned situation of constantly thinking about my weight, constantly thinking about technique, I can choose to do something else, you know? And like, as much as that's the opposite of what he's saying about greatness in the book, um, it's the same kind of flip, the same kind of switch that you turn on and off. And so I think about that with my career now. And it's like, do I have the choice of like, am I going to go to this weekend seminar to get better? And it's like, no, you don't. Or it's like, how do you have that priority in your mind? Because I think with everything, there are priorities, you know, um, but it's an interesting connection that I had to that singular theme. Yeah, in the yeah no, and that's, it, it just stood out a lot because so many, like you, we, we are lucky enough to be around so many people that are at the top of the game, right. Around a lot of those elite athletes. And you can see how far talent can take you. Isn't it like I, after yeah. reading this book, but I knew it before the book, but the book helped it become more clear is if I see somebody get to the top and they're doing all the things wrong, I know, or not even to the top to like great, but not yeah. legend status. They're doing everything wrong. I could, they're probably not going to be able to maintain it for very long periods of time. They're not yeah. going to be a legend. They're going to be a quick flash of the pan in and out, and then they're gone. And that happens time and time again, if you're making all the right or the wrong choices, because if you want to be the best of the best, it's, it's not a choice, right? You have to do the things right. Yeah. And I think that was even a, uh, a little section of one of the later chapters that says like always bet on talent and, you know, and because I totally, that was another enlightening point for me in the book. Um, when he said, always bet on talent, because I think selfishly and what a lot of coaches do is they kind of blind themselves to each individual athlete's talents. It's like, yeah, he's talented, but he doesn't do this and that and that right. And my mm -hmm. program is based on the culture of doing all that stuff right. So he's not worth it, you know, mm -hmm. but like the talent is there and the ability is there. And then you have to accept where your starting point is and work as much as you can there. So that was a, a big idea for me is like, yeah, even though he doesn't check the small little boxes, he doesn't do everything, you know, to the culture, to the ideal that I have, he's still very talented and I can still work with this athlete to progress in some manner. Right. Yeah. yeah it's, it's about finding the small positives. It's yeah. that's, that's all it is. It's finding, even if the athlete, like, even if the athlete is Cho Ocho Cinco, he's just a problem, right? Right. You try to install Antonio Brown's a perfect example, going to the Patriots Currently, yeah, yeah, or with the Buccaneers. Like, obviously there's going to be ups and downs. He obviously flamed out as of we know right now, but you try your best to work with the athlete and you give the athlete a chance because that's what you should do that as a good person, you give an athlete a chance and then you try to work with them small and steady. And they did that for three years and it worked out pretty well until recently. <laughs> yeah. Right. But no, overall, I think those main themes of the books, I, I would agree with and, and can implement. I would struggle to, you know, take full on implementation of it's not a choice. And it's an interesting parallel because like, as much as I want to be the best strength coach, I want to, I can be, I'm not willing to sacrifice my marriage for it. I'm not willing to sacrifice yeah. this and that. And so that's an interesting understanding that you have to create in your life or the ability to under, accept those consequences. If you will, I wrote kind of in my notes, it's like, it's not a choice unless you're willing to settle for the consequence. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know? I, 
I feel like it's a weird dichotomy where like it's, I don't even want to be, I'm not trying to be the best health care provider ever, like anymore. Yeah. That's not the thing. I want to be the best Austin ever. And sometimes yeah. that's, sometimes that's not focusing just purely on healthcare. Sometimes that's not purely just sitting in your room and working until 1am. Like it's, I don't want to be just the best healthcare worker that labels me as one thing. I want to be myself. I want to be the best Austin. And it's a cool, cool thought to think about because it just, you shouldn't want to be just a broad category. Yeah. You want to be an individual. It's a good little enlightenment. And if I remember correctly in our, our friendship history used to shit on me for saying that. So I think it's kind of funny. I might still be wrong. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah. Who knows? Um, So that's an interesting Uh, thought that like like the consequences are there, whether you want them or not. And so it's just having to analyze those um, different points. uh, One, one actually that resonated with me and it was a very minor thing. Honestly, you may have missed it. Um, I thought I did at first. I re-listened to it because I thought I wanted to reaffirm what I heard. Mm -hmm. And it was, he was talking about Russell Wilson after he lost and he was trying to help Russ with his um, lost the Super Bowl. He's trying to help him with his mental state. And they moved down to San Diego away from all of the different um, like the, the noise of Seattle and the noise of everything. And he, he drove there early. He got there a day early. He made, made the, or a week early, made all the reservations for Russ and did all these different things, um, made his, made his training schedule and basically just kind of readied everything up for Russ. Now, mind you, this isn't in his contract. He doesn't have to do this. It's, it, it helps with his job. And somebody asked him why he did that. And he's like, you're above that, or, or that's not part of your work. And he's like, my job is to get shit done, right? If this isn't done, I can't get shit done. So my job is to do what it takes to accomplish the goal and move forward. And it's something where a lot of people feel like a perfect example is like, coaches or, or athletes that don't want to mop the mats there. They just won't do it after practice. Like your job is to get shit done. Well, guess what? If there's a staff outbreak and four of your training partners are out of the gym and you're the dickhead that didn't want to mop the mats and the mop, the mats didn't get mopped. You can no longer get shit done because your training partners are gone after that. It's do what it takes to be successful. Take the steps to move forward and don't be above anything. I don't know why it resonated with me, but the way that he said that and the, the framing that he used, it was it just it hit home because you want to be able to just do all the jobs, just get shit done. Hundred percent. That I mean, that's been kind of echoed in my own life. And you're not above any type of the work, you know, cleaning at the gym, like walk, mopping up the chalk, or um, making sure all the equipment's put back away properly. Mopping the mess is a huge one for me. There's like, there's so many layers of ownership, leadership, um, success, uh, attention to detail that go into that, that principle of get shit done, you know, like, and, and that's when my idea came to it too. And ironically enough, probably because we're both wrestlers, my business went straight to mopping the mats, you know, yeah. like, yeah, if, if you're not willing to do that, then what are, what are you not willing to do in your other sort of training? Um, and that's where I think a lot of strength coaches get the idea of like how you do anything is how you do everything, which to an extent, but I love that point in the book. And I love that he layers it on that. I'm not above anything and you yep. shouldn't be in your professional life. You know, like you have to set yourself up just for success. And a lot of times that takes small, minute details to get there. Yep. But yeah, speaking of smaller parts in the book, um, now I kind of want to segue into a little bit more of the small tools, the nitty gritty pieces that we found in the book that we um, either resonated with or found and think can help the listener to our podcast or anything like that. 
Um, and in some future books, this will be the point where like spoiler alert. Um, so we're going to kind of get into what's actually in between the pages and quotes. If we've highlighted any quotes that we like. Um, so as long as you're aware of that and either don't care about the spoilers happening in the book, or um, you want to shut the podcast down right now and go read the book and then listen to our takes on it. That'd be interesting too. So um, do you have any more little nuggets like that, Austin, that we can jump into right away? If not, I have a couple. Uh, yeah. You jump into yours. I want to look through my notes. <laughs> Great. Um, so one of the biggest quotes, and I thought this was kind of funny in chapter three, it says, what could we all get done if we simply stopped saying stupid shit out loud? <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> you know, I thought that was kind of funny, but it's so true at the same point, because, you know, uh, being around combat athletes and this is not a knock on combat athletes. There's a lot of stupid shit that floats around, you know, like uh, anywhere from, you know, is this healthy? Is that healthy? Should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? To man, I'm so insecure about my conditioning. I had to keep working on my conditioning. I do more conditioning yeah. to, um, you know, I have to do, I have to get the belt promotion or else I'm not very good on the ground stuff like stupid shit like that, that we need to curtail at the front end and help your athlete understand the underlying culture, the underlying principle, the underlying anything else that will stop us from saying stupid shit, or yeah. we just don't have we have a filter in our brain that stops those negative type of comments. Right. It's, and, and also trying to stay away from other people <laughs> that, yeah. that are the, that negative source, right? It's, it's surrounding yourself with the right people that are positive and trying to be uplifting or not even positive, like neutral. Like yeah. he was saying, it's, you want to be as neutral as possible. You don't want to be in a group. That's a whole bunch of highs and a whole bunch of lows right? You want to be able to be comfortable in a group, be yourself and, and just everybody just kind of be calm around each other and continue just moving up a little bit at a time. Cause that's the most sustainable way to grow. And the way that he, he packages it, he calls it his verbal gut. Yep. I was kind of uh, stops that shit from coming out of your mouth or, uh, and I also like too that he says like the stupid shit can be positive. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> like, you come off a loss or whatever. And you're like, Hey man, it's all good. No, it's fucking not all good. Yeah. You know, like I'm not willing to accept that loss or I'm not willing to accept, you know, getting my ass beat for a three minute round. So not just the positive, but the neutral be like, you know, instead of like, hey, man, it's all good. It's like, you know, you can do better next time. Mm -hmm. Let's focus on the actionable steps. You know, like that's super neutral, super present. Um, and I think that's that in itself is a big key to the neutral thing is it keeps you present, it keeps you in yeah. the moment. It doesn't you know, put it to the future, put it in some anxiety state or um, blow off the past hits you in the moment and staying present. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, the next point that I kind of had written down, and this was a point from uh, that resonated because of the high school wrestling team that I'm coaching. One of the head coaches favorite phrases is, you know, culture is not only what you create within yourselves, but it's what you allow to happen. Right. Yeah. So that mm -hmm. goes to the point of controlling your surroundings and being aware enough to realize if you're in a negative surrounding or if you're allowing a negative behavior to kind of take over and, and feed life. So culture is not only what you create, but it's also what you allow of yourself. Yeah, I'm looking at my notes. <laughs> no. I was unaware that this was going to be a part of the podcast people. So now I'm trying to scroll for all of the quotes that I had and try to find a good one so I can add something. This is awesome being unprepared, everyone. I was not told about this. I will not be held accountable to it. Um, okay, moving right along. Chapter no, six. No, hold on. I, I got one. I, got, uh, I, forgot, uh, I actually got one. As I found it, you said that. So 
It's, it's just a quote. I don't know what chapter it's from, um, but I did write it down. It says, it takes a plan to achieve anything of value. When you plan, you identify an end goal and then chart out neutral behaviors that can help you reach that goal. And the reason why I remember now why I wrote it down is the way he says neutral behaviors. It's not always the big, big brash goals and reaching for the top as high as you can go and everything has to be a macro step. It's focusing on the small things, doing the small things right that incrementally allow you to grow and keep moving up. And the reason, another reason why I thought it is it equates to, in my world, athletes recovering from injuries where it's not going to be the big things. That's not, that's not the things that are actually going to help you get to a hundred percent. It's going to be doing the little things over and over and over again and following through and being consistent on your rehab, on getting on work, getting table work done, stuff like that. Um, But it's a good theme that goes all the way across the board in everything I do that stood out to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I like the the small neutral standpoints. And that kind of goes into one of those that I had written down. Three actionable neutral behavior. You know, if yeah. you can write those things down and keep you present, like you said, and come back from injury, you know, somebody just tore their ACL. Looking at the goal of being able to sprint again is yeah. a hard, it's a hard pill to swallow. Yep. Right. But looking at the goal of finding a normal walking pattern, looking at the goal of being able to flex your knee to certain X degrees, those are small attainable goals and and probably more neutral than the connotation of being able to sprint again. So one of the the chapters talks about ad campaigns in your brain. And I really like this because Oh yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. It's like a new take on affirmations. You know, affirmations to me are kind of a little bit clickbaity or a little bit of like self-help. Uh one of my the thing that in my head always clicks on when I think hear about affirmation is a Mark Manson quote. And he's like, the girl staring in the mirror telling herself that she's beautiful is not actually fucking happy. (laughs) It's true. You know, and as as brutal as that is, and Mark Manson is kind of a brutal writer, but that's what I think about um, when I hear affirmations. But this is a new take on that, talking about neutral behaviors, but also like call to action. Um, And so one of mine this year is the simply, it's a call to action. It's a neutral and it's just get uncomfortable, you know? And I equate that to my own like training, whether it be physical, kickboxing, jujitsu, whatever. Definitely late in 2021, I got away from the idea of being uncomfortable. I got away from the idea of like having to grind through some shit Mm -hmm. Um, just because it was inconvenient in my life. You know, I packed my schedule with uh, training hours. I didn't think, oh man, I don't want to sweat too hard during this hour because then the next hour I have to go four personal training sessions back to back or Right. You know, I can't take that 20 minutes drive to jujitsu because I have another hour session right after it, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm doing everything I can almost daily to find a place where I can get physically uncomfortable, whether it's a conditioning workout, whether it's making it to jujitsu class, even though I'm going to be 15 minutes late, something like that. Um, and I think that can play a little more on repeat and it's like an affirmation, but it's a little more um, personalized and carry some more weight. Yeah. Well, and it's very, it's more direct too. Yeah. It's not like the one thing I'd never liked about affirmations is they always have to be positive. Your, yours isn't, yours isn't positive at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yours is the opposite. It's get uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm like, and it's, it's direct. It's to the point. And you, you can say, get uncomfortable. And I know exactly what that means. You're, you're going to try to get better every single yeah. day, all the way through and pick one new thing to make you uncomfortable that you could do adapt to. And that that's the separation between this neutral thought ideology versus affirmations in nature. Yeah. And I mean, to me too, it's not like you can look at that um, like mantra and say like, oh, it's a negative thing. 
but it's really not because I equate being uncomfortable with, just like you said, Austin, with getting better. So as much as it's kind of a negative statement in itself, it leads to a positive thought in my head. So uh, in my idea, in my mind, that makes it neutral. I don't know if that's exactly the justification that Trevor Moe is looking for, but uh, the justification justification that I have. But you like it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And who gives a fuck? Uh, exactly. One thing, Austin, I wanted to get your opinion on and your thoughts on too was the flip um, that he does with uh, the learning progression, unconsciously incompetent, going to consciously competent. Uh, One of the things that is in the book, and just like I said, spoiler alert, nitty gritty, is he flips this script that we've written and a lot of coaches have as strength coaches too, where we want our end goal to be unconscious competence. You don't have to think about what you're doing, but you're able to execute it well every time. And I, again, for a lot of coaches, that's the end goal. He flips that and says, no, um, he flips that and says that consciously competence is the best. He wants to know what you're doing, know why it works and be able to do it well. Um, and I was curious what you thought on that and uh, kind of your thoughts around that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's perfect. I think that's honestly, I think that's why a lot of top level athletes don't go back and become really good coaches is because they were unconsciously competent to the point where they don't even know what they're doing, right? That's why I think it works is because we're talking about coaching and we're talking about the support staff. And I don't think I would ever tell an athlete, I want them to be consciously competent for the most part. But if I'm talking to the support staff, which is what I took it for and, and what I thought the process he was in is you need to be consciously competent of everything around that. So you can explain your steps as you go. You can be, you're able to explain to your athletes exactly what's going on. And that's why consciously competent players typically make the best coaches because they have to be the ones that take the steps forward and they understand the steps all the way through. They're just not the top level gifted athletes that can just do it naturally. Yeah. And, and that's exactly somewhat what he was doing. He was foreshadowing the like mentorship, the leadership, the coaching, because towards the end of the book, he does talk pretty much directly to coaches, support staff. Um, people that are bent on supporting athletes but my takeaway from that point is and I I still kind of refute his train of thought I would still like unconscious competence to be the last stepping stone but in the way I look at that and the um, like qualms I have with it are mostly contextual in nature the way that I've always looked at that pyramid is like unconscious competence envelops the consciousness, right? So you know what's right, you know why it's right, and you know how to do it. Now I want to make that automatic. I want to make it so that I don't have to think about why it's right and how to do it. I want to just be able to do it. But if I needed to sit down for an hour and explain to you why it works, I could. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I don't take the unconscious meaning. I don't literally have no clue how it works. I took the unconscious as in, you don't really have to think about it. It's pretty automatic behavior at this point. But and I do agree with what he's saying. Like you still should know what's going on and know why something works. Yeah. Be aware um, of what's happening. Yeah. But I don't want you to have to take those mental steps every time. I, yeah. I still want you to make it a reaction to have the success, you know? And I think yeah. about it in coaching, like cues are the biggest thing. Like I know that an external cue is going to work better on this power clean that we're doing, but I don't want to have to think, all right, cue them externally this time, because I know that'll work better <laughs> if I cue them externally on the clean. I just want to yeah. be able to cue him. You know, right. Like, yeah. No, um, for sure. Like you said, a contextual um, refutation, but nonetheless, um, the last kind of nitty gritty points that I took away from the book, the ones that I looked was towards the end. He talks about leadership, role models, 
um, and the kind of moral exemplars. And mm-hmm. the heart of it is you're always being observed and you're always need to be aware um, of what's going on and how you're carrying yourself to really set the tone, set the example of how you live your life. Because this neutral thought, just like unconsciously competent, it should be an automatic reaction in your brain, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, he talks about role models and how important leaders are on a team in that capacity. So I thought that was a really valuable point. Uh, to bring it full circle and to kind of wrap up the book is that this isn't a choice that you get to turn on and off. This is something to consistently drive your everyday behavior. And I believe he goes into his story about how Nick Saban makes it. Uh, yeah. In that. Yeah. And well, and it's also pretty cool because it, it teaches you that the best way to go about this is to be authentic, right? Because if you have yeah. to fake it every single day, if it feels wrong, that might be the wrong choice. That might not be the choice you should make to become the best version of you. If it if it feels right, keep doing it. But it, it allows us to kind of figure out what feels right to us and, and what the right choice is. And then as soon as you can figure that out, you should just stick on that path and be as authentic as possible. Yeah. Authenticity, like, you know, authenticity, character, you are who you are when nobody's watching type of thing. Um, you're always setting an example for your athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I looked at this a lot more when I was like in a collegiate setting, or even when I'm coaching my high schoolers now is like the behaviors that I set, even in practice, when I'm practicing with the guys, you know, if I take two or three reps off or don't give a good look or fall directly to my back, when I'm telling everybody else to belly out and create good habits, like I'm immediately contradicting myself and I'm no longer um, leading to the best of my ability. So be adaptable, be able to push yourself to to practice what you preach and uh, really be that for whoever it is that you're leading. Yeah. No. And I think that's honestly, that's a good way to end it too. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that was a, that was our, our first rendition of this monthly book club for building a fighter. Be, uh, be on the lookout for our, our next ones and we'll make them all kind of performance orientated. Um, I know Austin's got a couple of his sleeves that he either wants to reread or that he told me to read and I never got around to, uh, leaders eat last might be the next one. Okay. Um, I am down for that one. And, and also selfishly, one reason I wanted to forward this agenda is because it'll, give me some peer pressure and force me to accomplish the reading that I always seem to push to the side. It's true. Yeah. Well, keep us accountable because I will definitely talk shit if you don't do it. <laughs> uh-huh. oh, well, all right, everybody. Do you want to do the outro too, since you did the intro? Oh man. I oh, let's hoping, go. I was hoping for you to do it, but, um, but no, that was our building a fighter podcast. Um, as always be aware of our websites. We have new programs coming out. We have a redesign of our website coming out. Um, with a lot of pre-packaged programs on there that you can browse and uh, see if fit your... Did you say browse? Um, I did. You put me on the spot with the outro, man. <laughs> um, that you can browse and uh, see if they fit your goals. And as always, we can write the custom programs if you reach out to us through buildingafighter.com or on Instagram. Any of our emails or contact information is going to be in the show notes. You can always check those. But with Billion Fighter... <laughs> This is Alex Friedman. Oh, Dr. Austin Shane. And we... (laughs) 